It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Everywhere you go Take a look in the five and ten Glistening once again With candy canes and silver lanes aglow Sure it's Christmas Once more Well good morning and welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you here. Hope you enjoy are enjoying the kids. They are a blast. Can we welcome our online camp, campus, our Appleton campus, our Germantown campus? I love this weekend. Uh, I love seeing the kids. I love seeing them act out. Uh, I was here for Saturday night, of course, and so there were a few dance moves that I saw last night that I didn't see today because I think some parents had a conversation. <laughs> Pastor Kevin and, and Pastor Noel with London, he was rocking some moves last night that I think they said, that's what we do at home. And so anyhow, it was kind of funny, but uh, I love to see these kids. And today, as we are uh, kind of wrapping up this Christmas traditions series that we're in, uh, I want to take, invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen. But what I want to do today is we're going to talk about the nativity. And um, this year, I purchased more nativity sets than I've ever purchased in my entire life. When I was in uh, Jerusalem, actually in Bethlehem, uh, uh, there on the West Bank, in um, in November, along with a team of people, a group of people from Life Church, we all went to uh, to Israel for a trip, and uh, I we were in this shop, and I bought more of those nativity sets because I mean they're from they're from Israel, you know, it's the whole deal, and there we are, and in Bethlehem, and the, where the birth of Christ, and and so my mind's kind of alerted to this, but but you know the word nativity comes from the Latin root word which means birth. And nativity sets and nativity scenes actually have their origin uh, as far as being recreated in uh, the late um, 13th century. In 1277, uh, St. Francis of Assisi basically set about to do an outdoor live nativity. And from there, uh, it's gone on to from everything from huge, uh, ornate, multi-million dollar uh, sets... Uh, which actually are at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, is one uh, to all places all over the world, to the nativities that you have in your home. And some of you collect those, and, and maybe, you, maybe you have a grandparent or an aunt or maybe your mom, or what, they collect those, and you see these nativity sets, and you see them uh, throughout neighborhoods, and, and, and we see all of this, and we get it. We know what it is cognitively, but, but have you ever stopped to think about the actual nativity, the first nativity? And the characters or the elements that are in that nativity and what they really symbolize and mean. I mean, we know the story, but why are they there? Why is the stable important? Why is the manger important? Why are the wise men important? Why is it important that livestock are there? Why is it important? We get Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus, but, but what's the real meaning behind the star or behind the, the shepherds or, 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 or the wise men? Well, that's what I want to look at today. Is because I think that what happens is, is, and I preach, you know, when you're a pastor, you do Christmas and Easter. Everybody kind of knows what you're going to preach on, right? Because it's the, it's the story. It's the, it's the essence of, of the gospel. It's the beginning and the birth of Christ. And then it's also the, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so, you know, this is my 14th Christmas uh, preaching at Life Church, and, and in doing so, how many ways do you tell this story? 
But as a pastor, I read this. And what's amazing to me are there are nuances. Not anything new, but it's just you have an insight on something that you didn't see before. And so today what I want to invite you to do is probably one of these elements or one of these characters in the nativity is going to be something or someone that's going to resonate with you right where you are. And I would just let that text, let the passage, let the word of God speak to your heart and resonate that with you. Because we're all different people, we're all coming from different places, we're all at different places along our journey, but I think it has prominence for us. So let's look at this in Luke chapter 2 when we see this first nativity and these characters and, this, and, and these elements that are here. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 4. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea. To Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he was belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and they were expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she wrapped him. Uh, she, excuse me. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in strips of cloth and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, again, the first character, the first element that you see here in, in this nativity is the stable. And the stable basically communicates as bad as your life may seem or may be, you can still identify with Jesus. There's a reason why God had Jesus be born in a stable. It's so that we can identify that as bad as our life may, may seem or may be, that we can still identify with Jesus. Why was Jesus born in a manger? If you and I had, had brought him to earth, we would have, we would have, he would have been born in the finest of places. And, and, and he, would have, he would have had the best of the best. But yet God didn't have his first, his one, his only son, the Savior of the earth, born in some palatial place. He didn't have some majestic announcement. But rather, he's born in a stable in a manger. Bill Hybels said this, quote, God made a strategic decision not to shelter his son from the harsh realities of this life. God wanted his son to experience life in its blue-collared boldness. Jesus' first breath of air burned with the odor of animal waste. The first noises he would hear would be the grunts of the livestock. Jesus' first clothing would be made of dust cloths for the, or the equivalent of greasy rags. And from day one, God the Father determined not to shelter his son from the rude and crude realities of life on planet Earth. You see, wherever you are, you can identify with Jesus. Jesus, as he was a refugee as an infant fleeing to Egypt. He worked in construction for 30 years. He, he knew poverty, discrimination, and rejection. He was criticized every day of his earthly ministry. And when at the most critical point of his life, his friends abandoned him. When people say, nobody understands me, nobody gets me, God, you're not even understanding me. Because things are so bad. When we look to the stable, we're reminded that Jesus does. And the manger. The manger reminds us of God's presence changes the simple into the supernatural. That God's presence can change the simple things of this world into the supernatural. We know that the manger was a... It was a common feed trough for animals. So what's the point? The point is, is that that common feed trough is made into an icon today. It's just this crude piece of, 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 of furniture, if you would, that, that's been transformed. Why? Because Jesus was placed there. And so when you look at the manger, you realize that God gave something so crude, so basic, so not even thought of. Dignity. Why? Because Jesus was there. And only God can change something as simple and ordinary as a feed trough into a beautiful supernatural symbol. 
And you may feel like, man, this is ordinary, or this in my life is ordinary. There's nothing extraordinary about this. Or there's nothing extraordinary about my life. Or, or I'm just so ordinary. This is just so ordinary. This job is just so ordinary. But I just want to remind you that if God can do that with such a crude, basic piece of furniture, he can do anything in your world and in mine. The animals that are there. We know that they're there, but it symbolizes that all of creation recognizes Jesus as Lord. And this is important. Because... We read in the book of Genesis, when God creates Adam, the first man, Jesus is described by theologians as a second Adam. Basically, it's the recreation of what it should be, which is man without sin. That's how God created us to be. That Adam made the mistake, the first Adam, but Jesus Christ came to make that mistake right, which is sin. But Adam's job was to have dominion over the earth. Which included the beasts of the field, God said, the birds of the air, and, 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 and all of the fish of the sea. So when Jesus comes back to this earth, it's, it's very fitting that not only the place where he is is, is, is very basic and, 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 and is very humble. And the manger is very much just an ordinary piece of furniture. But that those that are surrounding that setting are of God's creation, are very basic and, and, and it's important to remember that these animals were the first people to witness the birth of the Savior. David says it this way in Psalm chapter 8, verses 8 through 6, excuse me, the verses 6 through 8. He says this, You put everything under his feet, speaking of Jesus, all the flocks, the herds, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Jesus is over all of that. And so on that first nativity, when we see the animals and the livestock that are there, they're not just there just because it's making the statement that Jesus is Lord over all the earth. The same way that God gave man dominion over the earth, that God establishes that with the second Adam, with Jesus, the one who would set us free from our sins. And then we have the star. The star. And it symbolizes that when you honestly seek God, he will guide you to Jesus. That when you honestly seek God, he will guide you to Jesus. God provided a star as a supernatural light to guide the wise men. Some scholars, some speculate and say that the star was the alignment of Saturn and Jupiter around the 7th century B.C. Some say it was Haley Comet that was recorded to be around 4th century B.C. We know that the birth of Christ was somewhere in the middle of those two. But I believe that it was a unique light. I believe that the star was unique. It wasn't a trailing comet that moved from, from east to west. It, it, it wasn't an alignment that, where there was a movement. No, the Bible says, well, look at it in Matthew chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. I believe this was a supernatural light, not just some natural phenomenon. But for us, if you're a seeker today and you're seeking truth... The reality is, is that the star may be someone or something that God puts in your path to guide you to the truth. Every time I hear somebody's story of how they come to faith in Jesus, it always is someone or something is, is pivotal in that story. I met so-and-so. My path crossed with so-and-so. Or something. I was in an accident. I, was, I found myself in this particular position. I was at this particular place. There's someone or something that God uses as a pivotal point in our lives to bring us to Christ, to lead us to Christ, to shine us, to guide us to Christ. I also believe that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that God may be wanting to use you 
as that supernatural light in somebody's life. That he may want your life to shine. I've looked at this a million different ways. And I came across a passage this week that I have never seen before in Scripture. In the book of Daniel in the Old Testament... The latter part of the first part of Daniel is chronological, it's kind of journaling his life. But the last part of Daniel is prophetic. And what we know is is that we understand part of it, but we don't understand all of it. And we know that it's prophecy to be yet to be fulfilled. But Daniel makes this statement about how this whole the star basically symbolizes God's guiding light to us and how God uses us in that way. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. God says, those who lead many to righteousness shall shall shine like the stars forever and ever. If you're seeking God, you will find him. Then you've got the magi, the wise men. And they communicate to us that we're wise to bow down and to offer Jesus our finest gifts. That it's wise to bow down and offer Jesus our finest gifts. It's a lordship issue. Came across an article this week that that said this, it would have been totally different if there had been wise women instead of wise men. Because wise women, they would have asked for directions. They would have arrived on time. They would have helped deliver the baby. They would have cleaned the stable. They would have made a casserole. They would have brought practical gifts. And there would be peace on earth today. Wow. Here's what we know. Matthew chapter 2 verse 11 says, And they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. They opened their treasures and they presented their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They worshipped Jesus. They brought him their best gifts. Not some, but best. And the wise men remind us that that's what we are to do when we encounter Jesus, is to worship him. The angels, the angels, they signify to us of good news that we do not have to be afraid. That when God encounters a situation that there is good news and that we don't have to fear. The angels make an announcement recorded in Luke's gospel chapter 2. Do not be afraid. I bring good news of great joy that will be for all people. For today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Now, there's a lot of anxiety in our world today. There's a lot of complexity. There's a lot of fear. And, and, and we look and say, man, what's going to happen next year? What's going to happen with the economy? What's going to happen? There's terrorism that, that seems like it's pro- cropping up uh, you know, and, and, and on every front. And there's just things that are going on. What's going to happen? We don't know. But we do know one that does, and that's God. And we know that God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. And this Christmas, one of the most wonderful messages of Christmas is fear not, don't be afraid. And even as you're talking to friends or coworkers, maybe you're inviting them to the Christmas Eve service uh, here on Christmas Eve at the Germantown campus, it's a great reminder to say, you know what, that's the beautiful part about being a Christ follower. Oh, there's fear in the world, and there's questions in the world, and I'm not perfect, but the Bible says that it's just like the angel said when he came and he pronounced the announcement of Jesus and the birth of Jesus, that we don't have to be afraid to fear not. Why? Because Jesus is here. And that's the assurance that we have as Christ followers. That's the hope that you have. That should be the difference between us and anybody else in the room. Is not that we're better, not that we're superior, because we're not, but because of the fact that we don't have to live life afraid. Fear not. That's the wonderful message of Christmas. 
And then we see the shepherds. The shepherds communicate to us that God wants to share the story of Jesus with everyone. That's what they're there for. They, they, they symbolize that God wants to share the story of Jesus with everyone. You see, again, if you and I had, if it had been our responsibility to announce the birth of the Savior, we would have went to the top leaders of the land, to the kings and the queens of the land. We would have gone to, 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 to the elect. We would have gone to the influencers. We would have gone to, to, to the most notable people. But God doesn't do that. God goes to the shepherds. And shepherds were viewed as, as just dirty, low-class they were mainly illiterate, just workers that were, that were just relegated to the field. They smelled like sheep, which didn't smell good. And they dealt with sheep. And they were just these, they were just these ranch hands, if you would. They, they were just these, those that just lived kind of out in the field. And they stayed with the sheep. And they, they slept with the sheep. And they smelled like the sheep. And they just were not people that were movers and shakers in society. But yet that's who Jesus Christ sends the angel to communicate the, this announcement of the birth of Jesus to these shepherds. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 17. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told of them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. You see, when the shepherds experienced Jesus... They were excited. They were overjoyed. This was hope for them. This was good news for them. And they took it and they spread that word to everybody. That's our job. When we experience Jesus, we tell everybody that we possibly can. We, we communicate that to everybody. And again, I just said this once, but I'll say it again. Christmas, the, this week of Christmas, is the greatest evangelistic opportunity that you have to share the message and the hope of Jesus to someone, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor, a family member. And it may be as simple as inviting them to a Christmas Eve service. It may be as simple as having a conversation with them. It may be as simply just letting the light and the love of Jesus Christ shine in your light. But the reality is, is that just as the shepherds were overjoyed, we should be. Just as Jesus came and God came and gave the announcement of his son's birth to basically the average working guy, he does to us. None of us have to be at a certain level. He communicates that to us. And then we get to Mary. Without Mary, uh, it's kind of impossible to have a virgin birth. Amen? It's kind of the way it works. Have you ever thought about the whole interaction with Mary? I mean, Mary basically says that it's impossible, what, what, uh, the, the impossible that happens when you surrender yourself to God, that the impossible can happen when you surrender yourself to God. Have you ever thought about really the impossibility of really what's going on here? We read this and we understand it cognitively, but have you thought about the emotional state of which Mary's going through? I mean, here she is. She's a young teenage girl from basically Nowhereville, USA, right? I said it wasn't USA, but you understand what I'm saying. And Gabriel... There's only a few angels that are even mentioned by name. We know there are, 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 are untold numbers of angels, but there are only a few angels that are actually given a name in Scripture that we know. Names are very important. If a name is withheld, it communicates something. If a name is given, it communicates something. Gabriel, who is the archangel, he's top, comes to Mary. And communicates what God wants to do in her life. That God wants her to be the mother of his son. Now, in order for this to happen, Mary has to be human. Meaning Mary has to be average. 
This, this is the beauty of Christ, and this is where people miss this sometimes. We deify Mary. We, we make Mary into something that she's not. Look, Jesus was 100% God and 100% man, and his humanity had to be completely intact. And at the same time, his divinity had to be completely intact. And so in order for this to work, God could not find someone who was just uh, this perfect person or came from this perfect town, or came from this perfect pedigree. Matter of fact, she doesn't even come from the lineage of David, which the Messianic prophecy of the Old Testament says that she will, or that the Christ child will. The blood lineage of David runs through Joseph, not through Mary. So if one is more suited than the other, Joseph is actually more suited and a higher pedigree than Mary is. If you look at it from simple blood lineage and how they would have viewed it in that day. Nazareth was a nowhere dead-end town. Nobody. The Bible even says what good can come out of Nazareth. That's how they viewed it. This is, like, I don't even want to name a name of a town because I, it could be where you're from, and so I don't want to offend anybody. But <laughs> if you feel like you came from nowhereville, right, and your life was completely just, then that's your, that's Mary. She's a teenage girl. But God wants to use her in a great way. It's not that she's horrible. She's just an average person on the earth that God wants to do something supernatural through. And he does. And the angel comes and communicates. And what makes her special is not her. What makes her special is what God's going to do in her. Which is the same thing is true of us. What makes you special is not you. What makes you special is what God wants to do in you. We are but as earthen vessels, the Bible says. Jars of clay. That's all Mary was. But she was willing and yielded. But in that, she had some questions. And I want to look at this because it's in the scripture. I mean, she kind of figured out exactly what Gabriel's saying. And then she kind of states the obvious. Look at this in Luke chapter 1, verses 34 through 38. How will this be? How am I going to give birth to a child? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin... The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered, so may it be with me as you've said. Gabriel told Mary, nothing is impossible for God, and Mary surrendered her will to God when she said, may it be as you have said. I mean, Mary asked the question, hey, I, 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 I've never been in, a, in an intimate relationship with a man. I, I am engaged to be married to Joseph. We, we've never, because again, biblically, sex outside of, 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 of marriage is, is a sin. And so there was no premarital sex, and there is no premarital sex that's permissible in Scripture. And, and so, so, so I'm a virgin going into this, into this marriage, and so is he. And so we've never, you know, and, and how is, and what, and I mean, like, really, how does this work? And when you stop to think about it, it's kind of one of those things that if you'd have been married, you'd ask the same thing. Hey, 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 what's about to happen here? Like, how does this work? Like, I know how the other way works, but how does this work? Like, what's going on here? Right? I mean, we, we read this way too sanctimonious. If you really, here's the thing. When we get to heaven, you'll understand this better. We'll all get it better. But if you really understand how average and normal of a teenage girl she was, if we all got that, we would see the greatest miracle that God wanted to do. And that is he wanted to take an average person who was yielded to his will and do something supernatural into their life. And that's the same God today. 
See, in, in every spiritual transaction, th- th- we see this in this passage, there's always three things that are at work. Every time God does something like this, there's the word of God, which that's what God promised to Mary through, through Gabriel, the archangel. There's the will of the person. Mary had to choose to be willing to go along with God's plan. So you've got the word of God, which is God's promise. It's, you've got the, the will of the person, which Mary's willing, and you have the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon her, and she became pregnant with the Christ child. There's always, in every spiritual transaction, there's always God's word and God's will in your life. There's always your will of submitting or rejecting in the equation. And then ultimately, there has to be the working of the Holy Spirit for God to do what he wants to do. This happens when we accept Christ as our Savior. We understand that for God so loved you and I that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's God's will. That's his word. We understand that our will comes into place. Am I going to accept or am I going to receive it? According to Romans 10, 9 and 10, if I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, John 3, 16, that I will be made saved, that I will be saved. And then there's the working of the Holy Spirit. Which John, John chapter 15 says is that the Holy Spirit seals our salvation. That's what allows Jesus Christ to come and live in our hearts. Every time we see something spiritually happening in Scripture, these three things are happening. The Word of God, the will of the person, the working of the Holy Spirit. We see this with Mary. And again, I'm not trying to make Mary a bad person. She's not. She's wonderful. She's the, birth of, she's the mother of, of, of Jesus. But I am also wanting you to understand, in order for us to identify as God wants us to identify, and in order for Jesus Christ to be the perfect sacrifice, he has to have humanity flowing through his veins. And Mary is what provides his humanity. That's the reason why Hebrews says we have a great high priest that's touched with the feelings of our own infirmities. Because he was human as we are. And then we have Joseph. Joseph, it's hard to trust what God is doing in the lives of those that we love. This is what he represents. It's hard sometimes to trust what God is doing in the lives of those that we love. Joseph is often regarded as the forgotten man in the Christmas story. Think about this. The Bible doesn't record one single word he uttered. Yet scripture will tell us that he will be the one that will give Jesus the name Jesus. But we don't have it recorded. I wonder how Mary broke the news to him. I wonder how Joseph responded. Kind of like, what the, what? Imagine if you're in Joseph's shoes. And your engaged spouse comes to you and says, hey, I got something to tell you. I'm pregnant. And Joseph's like, it's not mine because I know what makes the, and yeah, we didn't do that. And, uh. And that whole conversation, what would have happened in your world? We see that Joseph really struggles with this. We see that Joseph has a hard time accepting this. We see that Joseph doesn't really even believe Mary and thinks this is very far-fetched. And he's trying to put all these things together. Look at it in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. So he had it in his mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, 
which means he had thought about it and talked about it and talked to himself about it and, you know, all that stuff that you do. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. For she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So Joseph surrendered to God's plan. Wouldn't it be great that every time you had a domestic dispute with your spouse, an argument that the angel of the Lord would show up? Oh, so, okay, let me tell you how this is going to play out. Let me tell you where you're right, where she's right, where you're wrong, where she's wrong. What happened? And Tammy says, God does show up every time, Aaron, and I tell you what he says, and you should listen. <laughs> right? I am the angel of the Lord. Yes, Lord. That's the only thing I say with that. It's like, look, man, you know, if we could just have like some, like some, some godly confirmation that we, you know. But the reality is, is that God was doing something special in the life of Mary that Joseph didn't completely understand, but he chose to trust because God's word spoke to him. It's a tough lesson sometimes. How do we react when our spouse is telling us something that God isn't telling us? How do we respond when people that we love, maybe, it's a, maybe it's, a, it's a son or a daughter that says, hey, this is what God's doing in my life and we don't completely understand this. Or maybe it's a, it's, it's a mom or a dad that's communicating, hey, this is what we think God wants us to do in our home, but we completely don't understand it. Maybe there's things that are going on sometimes that we don't always get and we have to trust anyhow. That's what Joseph does. I think Joseph is a lot more of an amazing man than what we give him credit for sometimes. Because he walks this journey. We know that somewhere from the birth of Christ until the public ministry of Jesus that Joseph dies. He's just gone. We don't know a lot. But we know that he is no longer there. And Mary is the one that will be there through the crucifixion. But Joseph is often that forgotten man. But remember, he trusts God even when he doesn't understand. He trusts God even when something's happening that's not directly with him. And the last and the most important element, person of the nativity is Jesus. And Jesus communicates that God became like you so that you can become like him. That God became like you so that you can become like him. At the center of all of it is baby Jesus. And what a journey he took to make, it, to make it to earth. God took on human flesh so he could communicate one thing, that he loves you. This is what I love. It's Emmanuel. God is with us. That God brings his one and his only son to this earth. And Jesus walks away from the glories of heaven to take, the Bible says, to clothe himself in humanity. To clothe himself in the flesh. To be like us. To communicate one simple message that God loves me. That God loves you. That God cares. And that Jesus loves us enough that he will lay down his life for us. So take a moment and look at the nativity. Think about it. Focus on God's nativity activity. What's going on? Those ten different characters and elements. There's probably one that really resonates with you today. Why is that? Who is that? What is that? What's God trying to communicate to you this Christmas? Maybe it's Mary. Maybe it's Joseph. Maybe it's a stable. Maybe it's a manger. Maybe it's baby Jesus. Maybe it's the animals. Maybe it's the angels. Maybe it's a shepherd. Maybe it's the star. Maybe it's the wise men. I don't know. 
But what I do know is, is that that story of God's grace and his love is all wrapped into the nativity. And that's the story of Christmas.